Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to B-Side. We are in Matthew chapter 3 today. And I better quit gabbing because we got a whole lot to get to today, um, which I'm excited to to do. So, um, one one quick quick thing is uh, don't forget that we have our baptisms on uh, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday, and and it's really a good time to invite people to church and. Um, you know, and and come along and, and encourage encourage those to get baptized, especially so many. I, this is probably the most time in human history where Christians have not been baptized. Um, so there's a real imbalance there that people should see what Christians are asked to do. Uh, so again, you know, just something that you should try to be there for if possible. That it would mean a lot to me. Um, Matthew chapter three. Uh, let's let's jump right in because boy, we got a lot. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild Honey, I want to read you a passage out of 2 Kings, verse 1. Uh, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chambers in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore... Thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went, the messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to them, Thus says the God, uh, says the Lord, and he repeats the message that surely you will die. Second Kings, uh, that here we are in chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? So the Lord has a strong prophecy against the king. And the king asks, who gave you this message? Where did this prophecy come from? Because it seems Elijah didn't even give them his name as we're about to read verse 8. They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he said, this is the king now, it is Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> Elijah was so associated with this coat of hair and this leather belt that tied it that the king knew it was Elijah as soon as the outfit was described. 
So Elijah was deeply connected uh, at this time to this coat of, of hair tied with a leather belt, which of course is exactly what John the Baptist is wearing. Now, let's read on in 2 Kings, because this gets even more interesting. Uh, this section comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, and this is the story when Elijah is taken up to God. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you uh, before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, Elijah, you have asked the hard thing yet. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they uh, and as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried, "My father, my father!" The chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw no, he saw him no more. And Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. So Elisha tore his clothes in two pieces. Now you've got to remember what people wore at this time. This is one of those long Middle Eastern gown things, those one pieces. Uh, if you tear that in two, it's unusable. It's not like he tore an overshirt or an undershirt. <laughs> he tore his clothes in half. Uh, and then verse 13. And then Elisha, he took up the cloak of Elijah. And this is the coat of hair tied with a leather belt. Then had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. And Elisha, uh, verse 15, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The spirit of Elijah rested on Elisha. And Elisha's coat of hair was part of the, that, that verification to the people. Now that Elisha is carrying that mantle, and we're assuming after he struck the water, he probably put it on, uh, this is now, that this animal hell coat is now serving as a sign to the people that Elisha has the spirit of Elijah upon him. They say so as such. Well, now here is the same outfit. It's probably not the same exact clothes Elijah wore, but it looks like the clothes Elijah wore. And now it's serving as a sign once again that the spirit of Elijah rests upon someone else. By John preaching and baptizing at the very sight of Elijah's ascension, wearing Elisha's cloak with a ministry similar of Elijah, all of this, the location, the clothes, the message of repentance, all of this should tell the Jewish people that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Elijah is upon him. Or at least that's what John claims about himself. Verse 5, let's keep reading here. I keep yawning. I don't know why. I'm really interested. I just keep yawning. I don't know what this is. I need more coffee. 
when Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We better pause here. We got a few things we need to share. First, John's announcement of Jesus is one of gathering to either the barn or the fire. So John is saying the same thing as the fruit trees in verse 10. Either you belong to God or you will be judged. And John is he's very, very clear here, isn't he? That there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who belong to Christ and there are those who will be judged. And that there is not a third category of people. There is no category of people who were really nice but didn't like to talk about religion or politics. That there is no category of people who are hard workers but just weren't really into the religious thing. No. All men must choose to follow Christ or something else. To bear fruit of repentance in Christ or something else. The kingdom of God or something else. Secondly, um, there's a chiasm in verses 10 through 12. And um, I, I want to explain this to you, if, and if you have a Bible in front of you, it's, it's 10, 11, and 12 are, are pretty helpful here. Um, just in case you, you don't know what this is, a, a chiasm, it, it, the Bible puts chiasms in the scripture as way to build points of emphasis. You'll have a repeated theme, something original, a repeated theme. And the repeated themes bookend the, the, the central point, it's a way of pointing to a, to a point of emphasis. Um, and sometimes it, it seems not so much points of emphasis, though it could be, but it seems that sometimes there's, there's a lot of chiastic structures on a smaller scale within one verse, um, to build, to, to be used as a memorization tool. You know, we see that a lot in, um, in the Psalms and then in the Proverbs, you know, in the English, we don't see this, but, but in the Hebrew, it rhymes often. And it's so that we can memorize the scriptures when they're built in such a way that it's pleasing to hear. Well, anyways, verses 10 through 12, uh, are, are built into a chiastic structure. I want to read it for you. Uh, so here's the, the bookends, the A's, uh, ver 
Verse 10, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 12 says it's almost the exact same thing. His winnowing fork is in his hand. So axe winnowing fork. Uh, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and the chaff. So we have tree and chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. And again, we have thrown into the fire and burn with unquenchable fire. So we, so the A's, they parallel each other in good and bad earth. And judgment for the earth uh, uh, in what did not produce either wheat or fruit. And then we move in a little further. So we have AA and now BB. Uh, this is in verse 11. Verse 11, uh, I baptize uh, you with water for repentance. And then it says the other, the, the back end of verse 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John baptizes and Jesus baptizes, but John baptizes with repentance and Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, and so John's baptism is for repentance, but Jesus's baptism is greater. And now the central point of, of what this has been building to is this, is in the middle of verse 11. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worry, worthy to carry. And so the Bible for these, these three verses has been building to a singular point of emphasis, a, a thought to be elevated and chewed on the most. And the central point of John's message is that Jesus is going to be far greater than John. His ministry is going to be far greater than John's. His baptism is going to be far greater than John's. That, that's the main point of John. And, and the, the, what this is coming from is really a rebuke towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the main point of John's rebuke is Jesus is coming and he's greater. And John knows full well that the Pharisees and Sadducees hate what John's doing. Well, they're really going to hate what Jesus does. And so John is pointing to, to the one who is coming to be even greater. That's the whole theme of John's message here. Um, now, thirdly, we have a lot, a lot of thoughts here. Thirdly, John Foggin. See that? I'm fogging. John the Baptist gives us two analogies of right and wrong people. And both analogies are drawn from the earth. In both sections, people are either good or bad trees from the earth. We saw that in verse 10. Or in verse 12, or wheat from the earth or chaff from the earth. So often throughout this, uh, throughout Matthew and the four Gospels, we should look for analogies and types and parallelisms of, 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 from examples based upon things from the earth. So, for example, Jesus is going to give the parable of the sower. And the disciples are not going to understand what the parable of the sower means. But if, if we, the reader, could look, remember how John talked about we as people, we would head into Matthew 13, the, the parable of the sower, with a better understanding of it. Because we've already seen that, that wheat and people and things that spring up from the earth are often associated with mankind. Now, one of the reasons John and, and Jesus talk about right or wrong people 
a lot through earth-based imageries that people, if a good tree produces good fruit, as Jesus says, is because of the early chapters of Genesis. So John and Jesus are drawing from what God, Jesus, established all the way back at the book of Genesis. I want to read this for you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 reads, then the Lord God formed the man from the uh, man of the dust from the ground. Aha! And breathed into its his nostril the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Uh, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God made man, he made us from the dust, from the dirt, the soil. Mankind comes from the soil of the earth. And so it only makes sense as we keep Genesis in mind here that, that, that man, like wheat and trees, has come up from the earth from the soil. And when man sinned in chapter 3, right, what did God curse? Do you remember? So so man is sprung up from the soil, and then man sins in chapter 3, and look what God curses. Genesis 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till the till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The ground was cursed. Because man had sinned. The earth would yield thorns uh, and bread would be hard to grow. And throughout the scriptures, what we see here is that immediately building upon Genesis, we see the, the, the results of sin. We see dead, bad trees, which are represented as bad people. We see wheat choked out by weeds and thorns. Remember, the, the, the enemy came and sowed, sowed uh, thorns amongst the wheat, the wheat. And he says, okay, let them grow together. And in the Bible, Psalm 1, Matthew 13, Jude, the, these evil trees, these thorn-like men are, are, are bad, evil men. That's the analogy. So my point here is John is introducing us, uh, introducing the New Testament to biblical imagery and language that Jesus is going to frequently use. And, and this is drawn from the early chapters of Genesis. The reason I wanted to point this out today is because we're going through the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, I talk about biblical language that for the, the first 65 books of the Bible, God has been establishing a language, language. And then in, and then in the 66th book, the book of Revelation, uh, it's almost as if God wrote a work in that language. Well, here we see this development of what God had started in the Old Testament, that trees are people. 
that that weeds are are people so, sown in by the enemy that there's good and bad earth and and this is parallel to, to mankind because mankind is from the earth genesis uh, early chapters of, of genesis so and i hopefully now when you read the scriptures you understand when god starts pulling examples from the earth he may very well be talking about people because we have sprung up from the earth um now fourthly so john's baptism is different than a christian baptism uh, a really clear portion of scripture on this is in acts 19 verse 1 um and and it's these people they 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 paul runs into a group of uh, john's john the baptist's disciples uh and they haven't heard of the holy spirit and and paul said john uh, and paul said uh, verse nine, Acts nineteen two. Uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus on here. Uh, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So there's a clear difference between the two baptisms. John's baptism is one of repentance, of a turning from sin, and Jesus' baptism is about belonging to and being one with God. Um, fifthly, <laughs> last point here, and before we got to keep moving, Mike Baker pointed this out to me. Um, in Leviticus 15, uh, there's a passage that may be what John's baptism is drawing from. And and, and the, the, the scripture there is, is uh, Leviticus 15 verses 1 through 12. And what it talks about, it's, it's, it's about, uh, there's no nice way to say this, about emissions. All of chapter 15 really is about uh, emissions, uh, whether from men or from, from women. Uh, and one of the, and it talks about anything that, that the man touches, the woman touches after this occurrence is made unclean. Uh, and then in verse 12, there's this passage of what man is to do about this emission. And it says, anyone to uh, whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. John, who was a Levite, he's the father of a priest. Remember Zechariah in the temple? Uh, this may be drawing from Leviticus 15, that the people, that the Israelites at this time are unclean. And need to be rinsed with water. And one of the things uh, about Leviticus 15 that's striking me is there was the discharge of blood. Well, remember, um, Jesus points to Israel and, and points out uh, to the blood of the of the prophets that have been spilled. Uh, so so may, maybe there's there's this illusion there that they need to wash themselves from the spilled blood of the prophets. Uh, another Old Testament illusion that I was thinking to. Uh, was from Second Kings, 
John may be drawing from the story of Elisha. Uh, he might be his baptism of repentance might might come from the story of Elijah, Elisha, who's wearing Elijah's coat in this particular um, portion of, of scripture. Second uh, Kings chapter five, uh, starting at verse nine. And this is a familiar story, hopefully. So Naaman, it's a story of Naaman. Now Naaman's a leper. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan the same body of water John the Baptist, uh, the same body of water John the Baptist is at, uh, is, is at here. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So in the story of Elisha wearing the same cloak, as Elijah, as John the Baptist is wearing Elijah's code, um, there was a story of washing down in the Jordan, and finally this man washes himself in the Jordan. And so it says, and he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So. If this is the connection, John may be saying that Israel has spiritual leprosy and must be cleansed, that God's people have become like Naaman. Uh, so lepers, spiritual lepers. So something, maybe that's what John's drawing from in his baptism here. Uh, verse 13, we got to keep keep rolling here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, uh, submerged, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. Two thoughts. First, this moment of the Holy Spirit does not necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is coming to Jesus for the first time in his earthly ministry, but, but seems to be a sign, I believe, for the people that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who the Spirit of God rests upon. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. I think the Holy Spirit visibly descends as a sign for the people that are watching this baptism, and then ultimately so that when the church receives the Holy Spirit, uh, they may have some reference here. Um, secondly, a lot of pastors try to make the dove from the story of Noah fit here. Uh, but I really believe Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 2 is actually in view. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we are introduced to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as the Spirit hovering over the, the surface of the deep, the waters. That word hovers seems to imply fluttering. Like the wings of a bird fluttering. It's wings uh, to, to fly over. Fluttering its wings to fly over something. Well, here we are being introduced to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, um, as far as Matthew's concerned. 
And once again, the spirit is fluttering over the face of the water. Now, the context of Genesis 1 verse 2, the spirit hovering, fluttering over the waters, is about God creating life. This introduction to the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is the beginning of God birthing life, bringing order to this chaos, bringing new life to the world. Uh, it, it is from this moment in Genesis chapter 1, one verse 2, it is from this moment that God starts bringing new life into a world that is formless and without void and chaos. Now, Matthew chapter 2, we have leading up to chapter 3, in Matthew chapter 2, we have seen Herod, who's been a lunatic. He's killed Hebrew children. There's been lots of death. Jerusalem is still in strife. In many ways, it's become a new Egypt under a new pharaoh with new magicians. It's become an absolutely awful, spiritually awful place. That There's chaos and there's death. Well, if we connect these the two stories as I think Matthew is, Matthew chapter 3 and Genesis 1 verse 2, the, the spirit of hovering over the waters here and resting upon Jesus, I believe is cluing us into the early verses of Genesis. And that is that new life is coming. As the spirit of God hovered over the waters in, in, in Genesis 1-2, to bring about new life and to bring order to chaos. So once again, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the water to bring about yet again new life and bring order to, to chaos. And so I believe if we connect these two stories, we should be clued as to where things are coming, that Jesus is bringing something new into the world. And of course, we know this, that he's bringing a kingdom. He's bringing uh, a new law. He's bringing uh, a new way, uh, a way of salvation, of repentance, of sanctification. All these things Jesus is bringing into, into a world to organize the, the chaos that has ensued. Now, verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Interesting, the Father's message here seems to be drawing from Psalm 2, verse 7, uh, which is, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I have begotten you. And it also seems to be drawing from Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations, both, as we close here, both Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42 speak of a chosen servant of God who will rule and be a light to the nations. And so the Spirit is showing us a new creation, a new, a new life is coming, and the Father is saying essentially that, that his chosen king, his son, has arrived. And the people, Psalm 2, 12 better, if the Father is drawing from Psalm 2, then the context of Psalm 2 is there. And if that is true, which I do believe it is, then the people better, Psalm 2, 12, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
So what we're being clued to here is the father has sent his only begotten son and they better embrace him. They better embrace him. They better kiss the son and take refuge in him. Otherwise, you are not blessed. And otherwise, God will become angry with them. And as the story goes, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. The wrath came, as John talked about, because they rejected God's promised son. So let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for the study. We thank you for this chapter. God, we pray that you help us to kiss the sun. Help us to, to be blessed and take refuge in, in, in him. Not just once, God, but every day, all day. Let us take refuge in, in the sun that you have provided for us. We thank you for your son. So be with us now. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. I love you so much. You have a good day. And... Uh, well, I better get moving on with mine. So see ya. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.